It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. It's time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L. D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. One a dear friend and a young man I just got to know, and I thanked him for inviting me out and uh, to his office. I, first of all, I got Mr. Former Councilman in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Mr. Ben Peabody. Welcome to Count Time. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. you no, know, and I thank you for being part of it, and even thank you for making this happen. Also, I got uh, I don't know how to describe him. He's he's a medical doctor here in the Baton Rouge area. His focus is uh, addictions, order, addictions, and everything that goes along with it. I got Dr. Brian Kimbrough. Good <laughs> job. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's a, that's a tough one. Oh, no, it's an honor to be here. Uh, I'm just so glad to be part of the conversation. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's a pleasure to meet you. No, no, I, I, I'm truly elated, and thank you for allowing us to come out here to your office. And I think he shut down the office for the day. That means I don't get paid then. I'm just trying to shut that off as well today. I just say, I want you to know that anything you say can and will be used against oh, you. Oh, okay. Got it. Thanks <laughs> for the warning. This is a free therapy session for you too. <laughs> the reason I'm, letting, I'm saying it like this, because the last time I sit before two white men, that's what they told me. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> so, so that's, that's my, my, my get back. Oh, all right. <laughs> No, we want to welcome y'all to Count Time, and uh, we're here to, to uh, this is a serious matter today. One of the, one of the first uh, kind of serious issues that we're going to discuss here, that I have discussed on Count Time, that deals with the community. All the things that's going on surrounding alcohol, drugs, uh, the new laws that allow you just to get high anytime you want to, so it's just so much going on, the, the gun violence. And all of it stems and leads from one thing. We all know what it is, <laughs> drugs. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know if I can say that if the government in the drug business, <laughs> <laughs> I ain't going to go there. I, I'm not going to go there. But uh, first, Ben, you're a former city councilman along with some other things. Let's give us a little background. Yeah, I uh, was on the city council, worked for Woody Dumas, and then uh, went to work for down the road with Buddy Romer, was able to be the first person to be employed by the Louisiana Lottery, and was able to start the lottery, which I'm very proud of because it's done very well, and it's been very honest and run like it should be run yeah, for a government agency. So. Roy Hudson have done an awesome job yep, and, in uh, that position. Glad to say that I helped Rose be in that position. I hired her from the very beginning when we started as an accountant for the lottery and watched her grow through it. And she left for a while, then was able to come back and work there and eventually become the president of it. And she's done a great job. Very, very proud of Rose and consider her a personal friend. So, Doc, tell us something about yourself. We got Dr. Uh, Benson here. Yes, uh, how long you been in practice, Doc? Well, let's see. I. Uh, I guess I've been in practice seven, seven years now. Well, seven years outside of training, 10 years since med school. Okay. okay. And uh, I'm a family practice primary care doctor. 
So in theory, if you lived out in the country and you couldn't get a bunch of doctors out there, you'd probably want a surgeon, a general surgeon, and you'd want a family doctor. I can deliver babies. I can, can take care of kids, take care of folks through all ages. I can take care of a lot of stuff, and I could usually give it one or two tries to get it right. You know, I can't necessarily take care of blood pressure if I've tried five or six medicines and it's still not fixing it. Then I need to get them off to a specialist. Same with the heart. You know, we, we, we can try one or two things to make sure they're going all right, and, and then we got to get them to a specialist. But one thing that I wanted to be more than just the generalist on was addiction, because I saw that in, in, in my career so much, and I couldn't just say it was enough to not prescribe pain pills. That's not enough not to prescribe benzos or Xanax or you know, other things that could be habit-forming or addictive. I had to do more. I had to be part of the solution, not just less of the problem. So you saw that's, that's where you saw the addiction starting? Saw it there. Well, you know, to, going back even a little further, while, shortly after med school, about a year and a half after med school, I'm from Lafayette, and, and I have one sibling, and she's still there. Well, I'm from the big city of Franklin, man. Oh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, right down the road then, huh? Yeah, right yeah towards New Iberia. And so, so then, um, one sibling, and she, uh, while I was in residency, uh, she lost her husband due to an overdose. And Your left sister her, lost her My husband. sister lost her husband, left her with a one-year-old and a one-month-old, you know, that, that situation. And uh, it was quite unfortunate because he was the last one in his family, and they all died of drugs, drug addictions. His, his, his mom died first, his dad died, his sister died, and then he Everybody. died. Yeah. So it was quite an unfortunate situation. And, you know, it's one of those things where if it, it doesn't affect you personally, I'm fortunate enough to never have struggled with a, 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 a alcohol or substance use problem per se, but I tell you what, if I, get, if I get stressed, I have poor coping skills. And if I get stressed, I'll say, where's the chocolate? I need, I need something to really, you know what I mean? So I have my own things, but, but, um, but you know, I, 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 thought I, was, I thought I was immune to this until it touches you in a way like that, you know? So it was between the, the experiences in the family with, with my brother-in-law and then what I saw in, in, with my patients. That's what kind of motivated me, inspired me to go into this special. Now, but Ben, now you are in recovery. Let's just get a little bit about your, your story right now. Well, um, yeah, 1988, uh, my wife left me and I decided she had lost her mind and called her parents and called her friends and said we need to have her committed. And they all said, Ben, we're not too sure about this. And one of her close friends said, Ben, I want you to do something. And I said, I'll do anything, you know, if you want to help me get her committed. She says, no, this was a girl. And she said, I want you to go in, a in your house and look in a mirror. And that's the person that needs to be committed. And I did. I went in the mirror and I looked. And I looked in that mirror and said, oh my God, She's got a good point. So, so you thought everybody had a problem except you? That's, and that's, that's the nature of the beast of recovery. We, we've that's become, human nature too. Master. Well, but it's really of addiction. When we become selfish and self-serving, we don't really worry about anyone. Uh, there's dead bodies everywhere. We don't care about them. Just what you heard from him say with the family and the addiction carried on. It's monkey see, monkey do. What's so bad when a child is, uh, person's doing that in front of their children, and then down the road, the children doesn't do, does the same thing because they saw dad do it. They saw they what saw he was right. doing. And, well, he got relief from it. So it's just, you know, it follows on like that. But my story was, you know, my dad drank a lot and uh, was kind of a man-man, you know, kind of ran the show at our house. And uh, my mother was a school principal. I have two, two older sisters. Neither one of them drank, nor did my mother drink. So there wasn't a lot of alcohol abuse in my family, but at 
the age of 13, which is the normal age for people who uh, start experimenting with drugs or alcohol. Drugs sometimes are a little bit later age, but usually alcohol is around th 12, 13. Uh, I took some whiskey to Broadmoor High School the first year it opened. Uh, Frank McLevy was the principal, and at recess, a friend and I drank some for recess. And we went in the bathroom there, we drank it, we poured it in our Cokes. We didn't know there was another young man in that bathroom in one of the stalls listening to our conversation. He overheard it and thought we were putting drugs in our Coke. And so he went and told the principal that two young people, who, our names, that we were putting something in our Cokes and that we were saying we were gonna act a lot different the rest of the day. And sure enough, I can look back on that day to day and know that something happened to me when I had that whiskey and went back out, I became a different person. I really never excelled in football or sports or athletics. I tried them all, but really never did any whip. But when I did that in the eighth grade, I knew what I was excelling in. That made me a different person. It made me outgoing. It made me able to talk to girls. It made me the person I wanted to be. I wasn't that shy little best-dressed boy that my mother had me winning the awards at school for. And so from then on, it was kind of a, a, a race to drink as much as I could get from then on for a long time. And so that started my really addiction problem, and I carried it on through several you know different careers in my lifetime and at uh, age 42 i decided something had to be changed i went to see a, a preacher a methodist preacher and he said there was a noon meeting at aa and he suggested i would go to it and i had no idea what AA was i'd kind of worked with pat o'brien through the mayor's office and had some familiar with you know what people were of that caliber and didn't think much of them I thought, you know, wow, I'm not that much of a low life that I have to do that. But I went to the meeting, and sure enough, there were a lot of people I knew there personally and a lot of people I had great respect for. And uh, one of the people that met me in the parking lot, I saw, and I went and asked him, what are you doing here? And he says, well, I'm here for an AA meeting. I know why you're here. And this man just knew that I had a problem and was well known in the community and had worked with me on different projects for the city council, but knew that I had a huge problem. You know what did that know? Total denial. That's another thing that anyone with addiction, addiction is, we deny it to the hilt. I mean, it's, I knew I had a problem, but we, you know, we'll still deny it. It wasn't that serious. Oh, it was that serious, and I knew it was that serious, but once it gets to that point, it's, it, you're over the hill. There's nothing really you yourself can do until you are really hit in the face with and A lot of people have really bad consequences. I never got a DWI. I was never in a wreck. I never killed anyone. I did some things that I'm very ashamed of today, but it's just that's the nature of the beast. I was kind of a different person at that time. And after that meeting, I decided that it seems like it would work for me. So I met some other close friends that were friends of my father and that I had gone through politics with here in Baton Rouge that were in the program. And those people started guiding me, you know, to sobriety. And so here, uh, 34 years later, 34 years. yeah, it's been really a good ride. I've experienced a lot of good things. I did one of the little things that they call in 
recovery is a dry drunk. It's where you kind of quit going to meetings and you kind of quit going to help people. You think you have all the problems solved and what happens, you kind of revert back to all your old character defects. You may not use the substance, but your old character defects come back. You can be angry, mad, uh, a lot of different things that are very unhealthy for you. You start thinking about doing those things. And uh, I was, I guess, in Mexico, where, of course, they have a lot of margaritas and fun things to do. And I was thinking about, well, maybe I could just go back and do that now that I'm so well. And I didn't, luckily. And I made it back to Baton Rouge. And I talked to a friend of mine. I said, I think I need to have my wife committed again. I think she's you know, having lots of problems. And he said, Ben, it's you. And he says, you've had this problem once before, and you right. still have then, it. Then what you got to get your wife to <laughs> She was the first one to blame. That's what you do. You blame the first person. You your poor wife could be there. The you, you're going to finger point. You, you're going to finger point immediately to the first per, And that's what happens. The, per, the closest person to you, you're going to point a finger to. And so I still, that's what I do. I continue to help people today a lot more than I ever have in the past uh, it's been about 15 years now. I've been very dedicated to working with people and helping other people and what they call sponsorship, sponsoring other people that have addiction problems. And uh, it's helped me tremendous. When you help someone, you're helping yourself more than you are. Also in this conversation, 24 years ago, I was at Baton Rouge Community College where a friend of mine start, helped start Baton Rouge Community College. I was there the first year it opened. Uh, we were short an art teacher, so I volunteered to teach an art class. I was there as the financial institution advancement officer. But I taught an art class, and at the end of the semester, I wanted the kids to be able to show their art in the library. And I said, you know, why don't we do something there? I want you to have a show. And they said, but what are you going to do, Mr. Peabody? And I said, nothing. It's y'all show. And they said, no, unless you do something, we're not doing anything. And they kind of challenged me because they knew I was an artist. So I did a piece about them and their recovery. I was also kind of the free school therapy person the first year Baton Rouge Community College <laughs> opened. And kids that had problems realized that I was there and had some sobriety and they would come visit with me and talk to me. And so other teachers would try to send them, go talk to Mr. Peabody, he can help you. And so they would tell me their problems. So I kind of made the first piece of art about them for that show. And that started me doing art therapy, and I would say for myself and for other people for 25 years now. And so I you as got, a, you got your book out. This is your I, first book. Or this is first book, and that has a lot book? of the pieces okay. in it. And so I brought that to you. We were able to have some shows with it, and it was rolling good right before uh, COVID, and COVID slowed it down. But I do have some other shows coming up. We have a big show in West Baton Rouge Museum coming up in March which will be on addiction. And so it's good to get people to recognize that now and to start, you know, seeing that they need to address it. And what this does, I'm sorry to be carrying this, but what it does, it starts a dialogue. And I've had people with, when we had the East Baton Rouge Parish Library, we had it up for one month. It was in such demand, we kept it up for two months. And so people would come up and it gives them to able to talk about the third person. You can go up and we can both point at that picture and we don't have to about talk about your son or daughter or husband or wife or any relation. We can talk about that picture and all the problems can come out and be addressed in that picture when really they're talking about their own 
problem. So it becomes the third person to start the dialogue. I had one lady there was with her daughter and she was sitting there talking to her daughter and everything and the daughter was just not paying attention. And next thing you know, she said, mother, I will tell you about this when we get home. I will tell you everything. I will give, I'll spill my beans to you. And the lady called me later and she said, thank God you did that. I finally was able to have the talk I'd been wanting with my daughter for the last 10 years. That picture solved the problem. It created a dialogue that we could come back and she told me everything she had done, what she would do and didn't do, and uh, it really helped us have a communication. So that's what I found out that this work would start a dialogue. And I had, you know, people who were using come up and talk to me and ask me about the different pieces. Uh, it covers everything from drugs, alcohol, to sex, to gambling. So I cover all the different you know, facets in this, and it's been very successful, and uh, it's a good way. We're still doing this, and so uh, you were laughing about this. Um, one more thing, and then I'll stop, and we'll let Brian talk. One more thing, you laughed about the cover, yeah, and yeah. I was at Louisiana Tech. I was in... Uh, I'd say it was a nice picture of you. I was in, it, and it is me, unfortunately, and I was in a restaurant or a bar with some young lady, and her dad was a psychiatrist, and she was pretty smart. And she said, Ben, I want to tell you something. You've got snakes in your head. And this was at 22 years old in Monroe in a bar while I was going to Louisiana Tech. She said, you have snakes in your head. What that meant to you at the time? It meant that I was really doing a good job with my addiction, that I was really on top of my game, that I could use anything or do anything and drink and get away with it. And that's what it was at the time was a compliment. Later on, I finally realized what she was telling me was something I needed to hear more than just from her, that I had snakes in my head and that they were come to haunt me, and they did. They eventually brought me down and did what addiction does. It drives you to where you have to finally want to blow your brains out, die, or get in recovery. And I was at that point. I would sit so on my... There's no in-between. No, I'd sit on my couch at night and say, tonight, if I drink enough, I will die right here on my couch. And my wife would be sitting right there next to me, and I was like, I could care less whether I'm leaving you now or not. I'm getting ready to drink myself to death. And I was too afraid to put the gun to my head, even though I thought about it many, many times, just getting the gun and putting it in my head and blowing my brains out. I said, I'll just drink myself to death. And sure enough, my liver was going out. I was having a lot of health problems. So I was getting close. It was, it was heading in the right direction. I'm thankful that you made the decision to get help. Yes. But you really, you, made, you had a made up mind. And once you have a made up mind, you can move forward to that's where the recovery starts. Once you see this, there's light down the tunnel, yes, it is. But when you're in the tunnel, you don't see any light at all. All you see is desperation and no hope and, you know, why, I, why me? You know, why me? Okay, but now, and now that, that leads me to Doc here where with all the new laws, new regulation that govern drugs, alcohol, you know, hearing a lot about fentanyl, I think Michael Jackson died. Uh, it was a propofol, I think oh, it was. Okay. And it, it was something to kind of put you to sleep. Yeah, kind some, of, some, yeah, similar, yeah, something very similar. Yeah. Prince died from fentanyl. Oh, Prince, Prince uh, did, okay. And <clears throat> you, you, you made decisions, you, you made some choices. 
at a young age, but you continue throughout your, uh, your adult, adult life. But now, with being this drug being legal, marijuana, the different things you can get on the, on the market legally, and the people that produce it and makes it, makes it with an innocent child, a child, three, two, one, two, three, four, five years old, who sees it because it looks colorful, it looks pretty, it looks bright. They pick that up and start snacking on it, and they can become uh, probably can kill them. Not just they can kill them, so they're not they're not making a choice to do that. They just think this is some kind of candy, and uh, with, uh, with the different products they make now. Now talk about the different product and how that is affected and with all the overdose going on in the community. That just the drug is running rapid, rapid. <clears throat> Thank you. So first off, I, I, I would say that, uh, that these aren't actually overdoses with the fentanyl. These are these are poisonings. These are poisonings because Poison. yeah, the, the the child wasn't trying to get high. The child wanted something sweet. They wanted candy. They got something in there that they weren't expecting, and that's happening on the on the uh, for the for the young people, high school age people. They're going to parties. <clears throat> They're being told that uh, one of their friends says. Oh, I, I'm, I'm prescribed a medicine to help me focus at school. I have attention deficit problems, you know, and I'm, I'm prescribed Adderall. It keeps me focused. And then all of a sudden, uh, they, they say, their friend says they throw those pills in this bowl, and somebody uh, comes up and says, just grab a pill and take it. Well, it ends up being it wasn't really the friend's, the friend's medicine, okay? It was something gotten off the street. Maybe somebody told them it was someone else's medicine, and it was supposed to have Adderall, something to make you really alert and awake and, and all. And it has fentanyl in it. And for some of these young folks, it's the one pill and, and they're done. It kills them. One pill and they're dead. And it's so they, yeah, they, and they, they weren't really, they weren't trying to get fentanyl. Okay. There, there's another group of, uh, of folks, the patients that are, were trying to get fentanyl, but not, the, not in a lot of cases. Give, give us an education on what is fentanyl? What is the okay. new thing? Now? Yeah. What is, what is fentanyl? So there's a whole class of uh, molecules you've, you've heard of. Uh, Opium, the class is opioids. No, no, you ain't got to put on the molecules. Oh, no. we ain't yeah. to that. <laughs> well, no, but uh, look, going back to, we've been dealing with this for thousands of years. Drug use, drug dependency and addiction is not a new phenomenon at all. But uh, it used to be they grew the poppy plant, you know, like in the Middle right. East, okay. and they get opium. opium. And, okay. you know, people have been addicted to, to that forever. But then uh, they got into the synthetics. Well, first there, there was, there was uh, morphine, and then there was heroin, the natural compounds. But then they got it in the lab, and they figured out what makes these things work, and how can you make them work even more. So then they, made, they, they modified those molecules to make them stronger, so they synthetic. So they was making the drugs. They were making the natural ones stronger, yeah, through, through the process. As a matter of fact, I heard the government made LSD. Now I don't know. The, I don't know the history. I, well, I, I I have heard that uh, that Adderall type medicine that I was telling you about that that was used in Vietnam to keep the officers awake for 24 or 36 hours. That that may be true. I don't know the I don't know the history of of, of LSD per se, but th there's a possibility. But uh, so so what happens? Fentanyl that molecule is about 25 to 50 times stronger than heroin. <clears throat> then there's other there's other ones out there that are even worse. Like car fentanyl, they have a 50 words? times stronger than fentanyl is. So, so there are other synthetic opioids that are much, much stronger. We're talking thousands of times stronger than the natural. In the that's being made, made in the lab and being sold. Yeah, these were uh, uh, rhino or large animal tranquilizers. Right, the car it, fentanyl. It, it, car, uh, 
fentanyl, it would take a, a, a granule about the size of a grain of sand or two to uh, something about that large could kill an average person, okay? And you, you, could, you, could take, you could take three or four. You're a big guy, okay? But the average person, two might be enough. But half of a grain of salt, that size of car fentanyl is enough to kill oh, somebody. So it was a tranquilizer for yeah. animals. Yeah, like rhinos and, 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 elephants. and elephants. Yeah, exactly, big ones. So you talk yeah. about it, yeah. but it just put them to sleep or calm right. them down. Yeah, when they're that big, you know, a little right. bit of so, put them to sleep and not so kill them. So it's almost like being under anesthesia. It is. Yeah, was, well, they, their, their, their goal is probably not to take the drug and just be knocked out. You know, their goal is to have this euphoria or high or this buzzing feeling that you might get after you have a few beers or something like that. Pro probably trying to get that effect, not necessarily going all the way to getting knocked out. But, you know, with addiction, it's one of those things. We're naturally wired to have this problem of addiction. You know, you, you, you're an athlete, and you know that uh, you've heard of endorphins, right? You heard of endorphins? Oh, yeah. It's like the runner's high. You go out and you pound the pavement, you compress your joints, you stress your tendons. Your brain has to cope with that and has to mask the pain. The way it masks the pain is with endorphins, natural hormones that make you feel good, give you the runner's high, and get rid of pain. Well, that's what the, opium, the opioids do. They, opioids include Lortab, Percocet, you know, uh, even stronger ones like Dilaudid. Uh, Demerol, uh, morphine, and um, and so these molecules deaden pain and they kind of pick up the mood a little bit. And that's probably what most people are looking for. That's the effect that they're trying to get. However, if you take enough of them over time, you develop, develop tolerance to them and you need more and more and more. One way to get more and more and more, if, you're, if somebody's been taking a bunch of pain pills for a while, pain pills are actually a pretty expensive form of an opiate addiction. Okay, it costs a lot of money. Some people are paying $30, $40, $50 for a Percocet pill off the street. One pill. One pill. And they're taking, they're, they might be taking five or ten a day. They might be taking five twice a day. So that's why they say hundred, several hundred rich, dollars. Rich women who are at home, they, that's uh, where they get caught. That's a tough, that's a tough one to, to, to manage because the, the point they can get to before they reach their running out of money or whatever other consequences in life, uh, that, that's a, a, an advanced disease. They are, you know, so, so folks that have resources can use a lot of money and blow it on drugs and then not be at rock bottom, right? They could go a long ways before they get there. So, uh, but anyway, what we're talking about is that, uh, that when, when somebody, when, when pills cost too much money, they sometimes they'll switch to heroin. Heroin, you could snort it, you could crush and snort pills, you can inject so it as well, but you could take the her heroin cheaper. Gives you the gives you the same that, or greater that, high. What we call painkillers? The painkillers, that's right. It's a cheaper and, and stronger high. And then, so, if that doesn't do it, then, then, then fentanyl's the next one. Okay, from heroin to fentanyl. So, no, 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 okay. So, heroin, fentanyl. Yeah. So, they're two different... They're in the same family. They're cousins of each other, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, opiates. Yeah, that's right. So, but, but fentanyl, is, you say, is more potent and more powerful, but it's cheaper. Uh, heroin, well, yes, that is true. Yes. But I mean, as we get up to the stronger and stronger substances, they do get cheaper. And they do give you that greater effect. And that's why people, as, as their disease progresses, they advance to stronger and stronger and cheaper pro uh, substances. So what, what's happening nowadays, when people are pursuing heroin, they're trying to buy heroin on the street, they're getting fentanyl. Okay, when I work at the detox facilities or I work in the rehab facilities, and they think they're using heroin, they're getting fentanyl. That's all they're getting nowadays. If they're an unlucky souls, soul, well, they, it's usually split with something. It's split with like lactose or some sugar or flour or something like that and, and as a filler, okay? Because 
It only takes a couple of granules of it to kill somebody. So you got to split that up a whole a whole bunch. And if you're the unlucky soul that gets too many granules in your in your syringe or in your bag of dope, so, that's the so end of it. Because it, it's in, it may be synthetic, like mm -hmm. people making it in the lab or at their home, you don't know the, the amount. Think about somebody running something out of their garage. They might have some mixers or something like that spinning around like you might mix a, a cake or something like that, you know, and they're, they're dumping some, anything they can get in there, you know, they're dumping flour or, or lactose in there and they're cutting, they're trying to make, i stop for a second. You can see why people are doing this. They don't care if they kill people. They're making millions the, off the, the of government, it. The raise price on everything. Is everything so expensive? People got to survive. They're getting desperate and they're getting selfish and they don't care if they kill their fellow man. That's that's where we because, are at this point. Because you don't have... But let me, but tell, you, they, let me tell you this, Doc. Let me tell you, this happened to me several, a few years ago. There was two young men, LSU students, who was killed, who, who died of overdose. They lived off Holland Road mm. a couple of years ago. They, I mean, they live in the upstairs unit mm -hmm. on Holland Road. Week later, I'm in South Baton Rouge in what they call the bottom, and there was, I'm looking at these two, two, a white male and a white female walking towards me and another uh, uh, guy who was standing up there talking, friend of mine. And so I'm saying, and I can see that they're kind of on something. First of all, they're in the hood, you know? That was unusual. Like, I'm like, what they doing walking around there? I thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. So when they finally got to us, the other guy, he didn't pay him any attention. Mm -hmm. I didn't pay him any attention. They looked at him. They said, uh, uh, man, uh, I guess they, they, they figured that we were selling too, right? They said, we're looking for that killer shit. Yeah. Wow. Remember, two people just died. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we we we've touched on that before. They, they, you know, they're that, looking that's for it. it. That's it. You know, they they're they looking for it. It's a badge of honor. Die. Badge of honor. They, they look at it in terms. It's a culture. It's entire. It's its own world. They don't kill me. It kill them. Well, he was weak for dying. He shouldn't die. It won't kill me. I can take it. I'm strong. You know what I mean? So they. It, it, it's just to me is is mind blowing how they look at this. You'd say, no way am I going to buy from this. This guy, you know, should be completely gone. And I have heard some that will make sure that people know that this dealer sold something to somebody that killed them, but there are others that look at it as a badge of honor. So, so it's really confusing. But, you know, I, I should have backed up and told you a little bit about, like, what is addiction? You know, addiction is, is like from a definition standpoint. It's when we use a substance long enough where it, uh, we develop some tolerance, we need more of it, and we keep using it in the context of bad things happening. It could be the liver with the alcohol, okay? It could be that somebody using an IV, you know, when you shove a needle through your skin, you carry some germs with it and they land in the blood and they end up a lot of times on your heart or some artificial joint or something like that. And then you have a life-threatening infection. And, and, and continuing to use or, or, or DUIs or job losses or wife left or whatever, you still use it in the context of, of, of all of these high risks and you try to quit, you can't quit, then we've got an addiction. And it, and it gets back to what we were talking about, those molecules, that those, those endorphins, and this super important one called dopamine. Dopamine just is about the most important molecule that but, drives but addiction. The, but the body produces it itself. The body produces endorphins to help with pain but, but and make you feel but, better. But it's a natural. That's a natural thing. The body and then, what we, you need. then we've co-opted it. Then, like to give you an idea of how, so, so here's some other things that would give us a natural high. Thinking about watching your kids walk across the stage for graduation, or like when you had your first kid, you know, when you had your baby was born, you know, that just, you're on cloud nine. I mean, it's just like maybe no better day. Then you watch that kid graduate. Then you have a, a, a grandbaby or, or some other, you know, you, you land that awesome job or whatever. You watch a sunset with your loved one. These are the moments that you have in life that you have a natural high, best days of your life. Drug use will, 
will um, will outcompete that manifold. For, okay. Well, what what in fentanyl that just takes people out? What is oh, it? Oh, what's the process? So it 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 basically overwhelms the part of the brain that tells the lungs and the diaphragm when to breathe, and they die by basically cutting the cord, the brain doesn't talk to the lungs anymore, no more breathing, and they die due to suffocation or asphyxiation, and that's the way they die. And so we, you know, we, we have Narcan, and, and we need oh, to that, know that, that's yeah, you've why heard of Narcan, that. That's yep. why Narcan, with a, with a quick... You, you've heard of it? You've heard of it given, it's a, a yeah, nasal spray yeah, usually? It, well, I, I thought it was a, like, it's a shot too. No. Well, it's, it's, it's no. usually given as a nasal spray, okay. and, and that's one of those things that... Um, Narcan's a medication that's used to knock the fentanyl off the part of the brain that it binds to so that the brain can go back and talk into the lungs. Fentanyl, uh, Narcan wants to bind stronger, so it'll come on in and it'll scoot fentanyl out of the way and it'll stay there so fentanyl can't go to that spot of the brain. It'll basically put somebody in a protective bubble. And we do use medicines to not only save people from an overdose or poisoning, but we do use medicines to treat addiction and Narcan, the generic name is naloxone, which is like another drug called naltrexone. Naltrexone is, another, is a cousin of Narcan, and it's used to treat alcohol abuse or alcohol dependency, as well as opioid or fentanyl heroin uh, pain pill addictions. So, so this is a medicine that's used to revive people, Narcan or naloxone, and its cousin is used to treat addictions. Well, so that's similar to, no, it won't be. So if you're under anesthesia, mm -hmm. And they bring you from out of out of that state of anesthesia. Right. What do they use for that? Well, it, they typically have you supported from like a respiratory standpoint. They're breathing for you. What, what can go wrong if the brain doesn't talk to the so lungs? They, no so, problem. So okay. For you. Yeah, they they usually will just let that wear off, and then they use some some uh, some gases as well that don't last very long in in the body. And so they just usually support the patient as long as it takes for those things to wear Come off. Back. If if they had to, then they, they keep dark in the hospital. Hey, I've rounded on many a patients that were in there due to some complication. You know, like been, been their doctor in the hospital when they were in there for some complication of drugs, like got their heart valves infected, and they were still going out and using drugs in the parking lot and had to get Narcan in, in the hospital. So, I mean, that was, that was something we were seeing in New Orleans quite so, frequently. So, so on our, our neurons in, in our brain, we have these receptors, and one is called the mu receptor. And uh, I'm sorry, mu opioid receptor. We give it that name because we know endorphins and opioids like, like uh, heroin, morphine, Lortab, and Percocet will bind to that. Uh, that. That area is involved in signaling the brain to tell the lungs to breathe. So basically it shuts down that whole process. And it binds so tight and it only takes a little bit of it to activate that process that it's super, super potent. It just doesn't take much to do the job. Somebody can put that in your, in your drink, in your... Well, in your... The, if you, if you, in, most people don't ingest it through the gut. You know, most people are either snorting it or smoking it or, or uh, IV use. But yeah, if that, there, is, uh, there is some absorption through the gut, so I, I sure wouldn't want to be the one to drink a drink after somebody doused it with, with fentanyl. Let me give you a quick yeah, thing. In yeah. 1959, fentanyl was invented by a Belgium chemist. 1959. It was used just as an anesthesia. It was used anesthesia. like that. Yeah. Very successful, very popular. In 207, a Mexican lab discovered that they could sell it as fentanyl or mix it with their fentanyl, their heroin, to make it a little bit stronger. So in 207, a Mexican lab started selling it with little bits of heroin, and it was given that, wow, they've got some good stuff. Go ask any drug person, and they said, we want the good stuff and that's they want the killer stuff and it doesn't matter 
and that's when 216 Prince died. So you can see a timetable. It's been around for a long time. It's just now being abused because it's a designer drug. It can be raised, I mean, made in a lab. And if you see the labs, and I have pictures <laughs> here that I'll show you, in Mexico that they're making this from. They're making this stuff just in 55-gallon drums. And so they're making it there. And that, these guys don't know how much they're putting in to mix it. They're just mixing it. They're getting the chemicals now from China. They're sipping it to Mexico. These guys are making it in these makeshift labs out in the middle of the jungle. And that's what they're shipping here. Once they start, once we had the Oxycontin craze here in the United States and people got hooked on Oxycontins, then we made it where they couldn't get them. They went to heroin. And then that's what they're doing now. Mexico is putting these in pills that look just like Oxycontin. They're shipping them back here. That's what they were at first. They were the blue, light blue ones with the M80s on them or M30s. That was a design on the pill. They were shipping these back. And people were saying, oh, good, I got my Oxycontins back. You know, I can't go to the doctor and get them anymore, but I can buy them on the street now. And that's what happened. He was talking about carfentanil. Carfentanil was so powerful, they had to take it off. The drug dealers quit using it because it was killing too many people. They sent a batch to Philadelphia in the park. Forty-five people died in the park from carfentanil. They said, crap, it's too strong. we got to go to fentanyl. We got to quit. You're killing your we're, we're killing everyone, and so we're going to move it back to fentanyl. Fentanyl is out there now, and it's it. A grain, a grain of salt is all it takes is for it to kill you, and that's what's out there. And people don't know. Four out of ten pills, four out of ten have fentanyl in them now. So that's almost a 50-50 chance of you doing something. So suicide rates are extremely high. Overdotes are exceptionally high in the community. 110,000 in the United States have died so far this year. And I'm going to give you a statistic here. I'll surprise you. Black men have been hit the hardest for drug overdose. Maybe not here in Louisiana, but nationwide, black men have been hit harder than white. And go look at your statistics, and they'll pop up, and you'll do, didn't know that. And it's thinking, well, it's hitting everyone. So it's not just white, black. It's everybody. everybody. The whole any community age. is being affected. At any age, your age bracket is 18 to 45. And, you know, that's, that's and then kids now. And he's got examples of young, young kids that are vaping now. See, they're putting in vaping now as you would vape. You can get fentanyl in vape now. And so you do it. You think you're vaping from a friend. And here, take a hit off of my vaping thing. It's got fentanyl in it. And next thing you know, you're in the hospital or you're dead. I mean, it's it's out there. It's just scary. Okay. Now, do we, we somebody wasn't anticipating or expecting uh, fentanyl to be in something? Does it give you, you know, you know how like you get a uh, shortage, you can't catch your broke color again? Uh, what happens? Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, the breathing slows with the patient. Oh, it's slow, so you don't yeah. get. You, there's no. It, it decreases the craving for air, actually. So it's not something like whenever we're giving people hospice care, sort of in the light care, we, we'll use these medicines for shortness of breath sometimes, and which seems kind of odd. Like it slows their breathing down, but it decreases their craving for air. So they don't actually know they're breathing slower. They don't feel like they're starving for, from an air oxygen standpoint. So no, they probably they probably wouldn't be able to differentiate. They would either say this is a doggone good buzz, you know, or high, or that'd be the end. That'd be they'd be dead. That's what they're doing. If, yeah. if it, what, what, what is that time frame? Is that a time frame? So when somebody take or use fentanyl, 
and, rely, and get to that state 10 minutes, an hour, two hours? Anybody well, the, the, the slowest way of, of, of ingesting and getting high from a drug is, is taking it by mouth, then um, snorting it or using it in the, you know, lips or, or gums, and then um, injecting it. And then the fastest is, is inhaling, like smoking. Like you hear people smoking crack or freebasing crack, or that's going to be the fast way to get you. And, and the onset, it's going to be a matter of seconds before they feel it. Seconds. Seconds. Oh, yeah, before they, if they're inhaling something. They, they, I mean, if somebody's ever smoked a cigarette, they'll know that it doesn't take long for them to start feeling the effects of nicotine once they inhale. So it come, goes in really, really fast. It goes straight to the lungs. The lungs have these arteries, the, the, the pulmonary arteries and veins, goes right to the heart, and the brain is the next stop. So it's right there. Lungs, heart, brain, you're, the, you're, you're there. And what's confusing about, say you had been shooting heroin for a good while, and you would get some fentanyl, and you go back and say, wow, that was good stuff. I want some more. Fentanyl is very, very addicting, and people don't realize the addictive power of it. You know, and they're saying, well, I've always used this. The young man I know was taking the Adderall with fentanyl in it, and within three days, he was hooked. He had always taken Adderall, no problem at all. It had been, you know, from his doctor, but then he took some from his friends. Within three days, he was hooked. A month, he went through $5,000. And the reason he was able to save his life because he was out of money, he called his parents and said, I'm broke, I'm hooked on Adderall or really fentanyl, and he says, I'm in bad shape. I'm about to die. I can't go to school. I can't go to class. I need to go in recovery. He's in recovery now for the second time. The second time. We, we never really finished this conversation about the, the children. This, with the, with the, the pills, I mean, just the, the beautiful looking, colorful pills they make in the beautiful gummy ball. What do you mm -hmm. call that? Uh, there's some gummy. there's there's marijuana gummies now, THC gummies, CBD gummies, and all kinds of candy-looking basically drugs. That children can easily. Oh, easily! I, I was working in in Mississippi over the last few months through the um, family treatment family court there that had a uh, drug treatment program, and the uh, w it was a free service to those people that were, were were charged with child abuse or neglect. And I would ask, why are you why are you here? Why are you here to see an addiction doctor? And uh, they said, well, somebody made me come see him because my kid got sick. Well, what happened to your kid? They grabbed one of my marijuana gummies. They ate it. I brought him to the emergency room. The ER staff said my kid wasn't breathing good. And next thing you know, I'm charged and I have to see you. So that's, that's what it is. And that's then, the only reason I'm here. That's the only reason I'm here. And I, I, I don't really have a problem. I don't have a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, they, so I, fortunately, I have not been in a situation where somebody's uh, child has ingested a, a fentanyl product and died, thank goodness. But I have seen many children get a hold of, uh, of other drugs, and, and uh, it's, they, they, they dodged the reaper, the child did, and the, uh, the parents got lots to, lots to work on as a result. Now, I guess I don't even know how to ask this question, because somewhere down the line, you know, Ben shared his story about how he started drinking. But what is, what is happening in this country, in the communities, where people are not even thinking twice about using uh, some kind of other alternatives to numb their issues or concerns or or whatever you might whatever they, whatever's going on in their life. Uh -huh. What 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 is what have us at this point in place in this country that we looking for something else? Yeah. What's happening? That actually might be above my pay grade, but what I can tell you <laughs> is this. Okay. Um, 
over time, um, I guess we've c community and, and its and its view on drugs can be protective. In other words, drugs are bad. Don't do them. Look what happens if you do. Okay, but that can that can be uh, also harmful because that creates stigma. And stigma means if you have a problem, you better not tell anybody because you, you should feel ashamed of that problem because they're going to reject you. You know what I mean? So it's, it's somewhat protective from starting the drug problem, but it's somewhat harmful from a standpoint of getting treatment for a drug problem. But, uh, you know, over the last uh, several decades, the, well, let me back up. Drug use has always been, it's always been uh, present, okay? Uh, pendulums swing back and forth. Probably remember in the 70s, heroin was a bigger thing. 60s and 70s, heroin was a bigger thing. Then you heard of all these doctors over-prescribing, medical doctors over-prescribing pain pills. That, there, was a, there was kind of a, a couple of uh, circumstances that made that uh, a challenging reality. And that was there was an article written by anesthesiologists. Those are the doctors that put you to sleep. And those are the doctors most skilled for taking care of pain, like pain management doctors, anesthesiologists. They, they published an article with a small group of, of patients or subjects that said if you prescribe somebody opioids, pain pills, Lortab, Percocet, for a little while, a couple weeks, two, uh, three or four weeks, they're unlikely to develop an addiction. It's okay. What also happened around that same time is Medicare cracked down and said we're going to come up with this, this sixth vital sign, which is not only you know, weight, height, uh, how fast you breathe and how much oxygen in your blood, what's your blood pressure and, and heart rate, but we're going we're to come up with this one about your um, pain vital sign. And we're going to give you a survey to the patient that says, did your doctor address your pain adequately? And if not, that equals reimbursement dollars, okay? So there was a consequence to that. So two things were, were, were happening. There was a publication that says, a little bit of pain pills for a few weeks, not a problem. Hey, if you don't treat your patient's pain, you got big problems. And so doctors did start over-prescribing. The pendulum swung from the heroin use of the 60s and 70s, snorting and injecting, to the pain pill prescribing of the doctors of the well, 80s, 90s, well, and early 2000s. Well, that sounds like to me, instead of the street pharmacists, yeah. they went to the professional they sure did. pharmaceutical companies. And I'm worried about it happening right now with doctors prescribing marijuana. Have we not learned that this was a harmful practice, and now we've got people taking this up and getting their, their license to prescribe marijuana? Pharmaceutical can't end up well. Pharmaceutical companies spending much more money. Yeah, they, uh, they're making money on it, huh? So this goes back to the same thing, and you did an interview with some people from West Baton Rouge about their sugar cane. It goes back to money, big money, and there's big money. Yes, when there's big money in drug sales, there's big money in taxing marijuana sales. There's big money in this, so there's this pendulum too. We went through the COVID, and that isolated a lot of people, and isolation causes a lot of addiction problems. When you get alone, you're by yourself, you withdraw, you may have lost your job, you may have lost your friends, you can't go around and do normal things. You withdraw within, so within you withdraw within and you have an addiction problem, you look for relief. And that's how a lot of this is happening, we're looking for relief. And so here again, the money from Mexican cartels were making so much money off this, it was just flooding in here. But, we were but, ripe for the taking. It was like... But, but we, we've made laws or have signed off on these new laws to allow marijuana to be dispersed like candy, right? And what? So that might bring us back to the days of the prohibition. Right. When alcohol was illegal. Right. But the government said, well, they're making bootlegs, so we need to tax... Right. You can't tax it, they bootleg, they're making it bootleg, right? 
It goes back to that big sign. So, what happened to those so, people across so, the river? So, so Money. Tell me, that, tell me that this, this, our government is just all about the dollar? Well, it, it, it has a lot to do with it. And it, you look at the, you know, the money that's being spent, the money that's being made on this right now. If you're a young man here in Baton Rouge and you're dealing drugs on the street and you're making 20 to 30 grand a week, I mean, tell me, you know. Do the numbers. Well, do the numbers on it. And if, if something happens to you and you get killed, someone's going to replace him. 90% of the drug overdoses here in Baton Rouge are fentanyl related. You can 90%. ask. 90%. 90%. Ask Bo Clark. He'll tell you. That's his statistic. Now, let, 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 me, let me say this, too, because uh, now you, was a, you were in government. Yeah. Was, was in government. You were a city councilman. So we know that, what you call them people again? The ones that come out and ask you to support their bill? The lobbyists. Lobbyists, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So and that's, in, from, that's from this, any little small town to the state to the U.S. Yeah. Thing. So the pharmaceutical company got all the money. Or they the one doing all the lobbying to pass these bills? They were, they were doing all the lobbying to have the Oxycontin, and that was, for, uh, what is it, P-A-R, uh, the name of the pharmacy? Uh, it was the Sackers. Purdue? Purdue, Purdue, yeah. Purdue yeah. Pharmacy. They were the ones, and they were the ones, you know, hiring people to go to the doctors and say, listen, it's not that addictive, and we'll pay you, we'll send you on trips and everything. Mm -hmm. You sell enough, and we're going to take care of you very well. Most of the big pharmaceutical companies come out of Europe. They're not even in the U.S. Well, eventually, they, at the beginning they did, but these were right here in the United States. This guy started this company in the United States, and it was a family business, and they knew what they were doing. They've been sued. Of course, there's millions of dollars they've been sued for now that the federal government has. That's why a lot of this is now being publicized about trying to do something. There is a lot of money. There's a lot of people here, and I'd like to shout out to some of them later on in the conversation that are doing a lot here in Baton Rouge to help this. And it's money that uh, some school board members are involved with, the state is involved with, the Department of Health and Human Services involved with. There's people really doing because well. It affects both both sides, okay? Let's, let's just, let's, I don't like using the term black and white, but for the sake of getting some clarity on the conversation, we'll say black and white. In the, in, the, in the white community, a lot of overdose of the use of drugs and fentanyl. In the black community, a lot of killing and shooting is because of drugs. Right. It's because, you know, of territory. Right. So no matter what, it all goes back to one issue, one concern. So it seems like as a country, what we call this country again? <laughs> one of the best nation yeah, yeah. in the world. Yeah. This not, we're not a third world country. That's the, the term they use. So that should be easily resolved. I mean, well, when well, you what's have, the problem then? Just think of this. This is the number of people that die a day is, would be like a plane crash. And if a plane crash, you would be hearing about it. It'd be on the news tonight. You know that a big Delta plane or American airline went down. You don't hear about this, and it's really hard to get people to discuss this topic: drugs. Uh, they've been doing it quite. The fentanyl thing made a big hit a month or two ago on national TV. Everyone was talking about it. You know, they made the spill, and then you haven't heard anything else about it. And I'll give you some statistics while we're here in this hold hour. On, hold on. Now, one of the reasons we might not be hearing anything about it, because if the news keep promoting it, uh, 
pharmaceutical company don't do advertising. Well, but the pharmaceutical company's really out of it now. This is more what's being made synthetic, what they call designer drugs. These are drugs that are being made in labs that are being pushed on. It's cheaper to make it in a lab than it is to grow up marijuana. It's cheaper to do, uh, make it in the plant uh, poppy seeds. It's cheaper to do. I mean, this is the easiest way to make drugs and make billions of dollars okay, off okay. of it. Is it still made from opium? How do you make it? No, uh, so the... I don't know the uh, the, the exact process. I'm, uh, all right, uh, but the uh, my understanding is a lot of the reagents are made in China. Like the basic ingredients right. you need to make it are made in China, and there's transinternational uh, gangs or, or mafias that basically ship those raw uh, raw, raw ingredients exactly. to, to Mexico, and they can put the, they make the last few steps of combining well, them well, and, and, well, and, and, and binding them. Well, in, we keep in, saying in. Mexico, but Mexico still not the one who who makes it. It's made in China. Well, right, right. Well, it's at both, right? They, they're, they're putting the, taking the last few steps, and they're, they're combining the ingredients, and they're making it into a form that's, that's either it's that's still, usable. It's still mm -hmm. legal to make these drugs in China, so China has, and we've tried, the United States has tried to eliminate them from making them at all, but it's still legal for them to make. For, for, I think for export purposes, for, the yeah, fentanyl yeah, purposes. For, for, or medical, but not yeah. it, not for. They have very strict rules on addiction and, and drug use in China. They very do, strict. but yeah. they don't yeah. have it for making. They don't make it. So, so, you know, so if you want to buy it, you still. Keep and, it. and I think you're making a fair analogy when you talk about these uh, trans uh, trans international cartels, basically, and and their efforts may be very similar to pharmaceutical companies. You know what I mean? Because pharmaceutical companies uh, maintain their existence by having people on a medicine for the rest of their life, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and and that's what these that's what these uh, that's what these gangs basically want. You know, from China to Mexico to, to here locally, is they want people on this for a really long time. And they uh, and and so are they are they lobbying our our our, our congressmen? You know, I I've asked myself that question too. I mean, well, why is the border? Look, I think we're all a little distracted about the people coming across the border, and, and that is a horrible situation. But drugs are going over here while you're looking at the people over there. So it's it's all always wait, around. Wait, wait, could that deal. be a game plan? I, yeah, I, I wonder if it could be. I don't know. Strategy? I don't know. I mean, they're making money on the moving the people and and the drugs. So it's 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 a it's a business, big time, billion dollar industry. But some of the articles I've given you, I mean, it, what's coming in is just amazing. It's just and what they've been busted. We've been doing here. Uh, the sheriff's been doing a good job here. He got a million dollars from the legislature to go really strictly after drug distributions here, and he's doing a good job. He's been making some pretty good busts here. Yes, yeah, he's man. been doing some good busts here in Baton Rouge recently. You've seen them, guns, fentanyl, uh, uh, people that have been pretty good-sized distributors. But that's minor when you think of what's really coming in. What What's coming in is major compared to what we're, we're making these busts. And so, what we really need to be doing is just what we're doing here, trying to educate people. What we're trying to do is save a life. And I mean, if we can save one life, some kid out there from using this, taking the Adderall and say, well, those guys were talking about using it. I'm a, parents can talk to their children and say, be aware of what you do. Anything has fentanyl in it now. You've got to be so conscious of your life. And, you know, everyone's not going to listen to them, but someone's, one of the kids may listen and say, you know, well, they were right. My friend died. You know people whose family and friends have died from this. And so I, I hear it all the time from well-known, well-respected families here in Baton Rouge that have lost one. 
And a lot of people just don't want to talk about it. So when they do obituaries, they'll say, my son died of a, or daughter died of an overdose. They just said, you know, just died of an illness. And they don't say anything about it. And that happens a lot here. But I mean. And that's the worst thing that can happen. Uh, we're losing people because left we're and not, right. We're not, a, we're not addressing the issues. No. And we're not. We, we still, we, we, the people that can really bring it up and get some traction get some things moving because the people in the hood who are doing the shooting, nobody going to really say much about that. No, well, and but, it's, it's... the people, like if you, like I have some a friend, who, a doctor whose child you know, overdosed, found them, and that nobody said anything except I just moved right along. So what, what how many people in, in just in the Baton Rouge in Louisiana are dying of this overdose, fentanyl? You said 90% of them were Yeah, in Baton Rouge, 90% was fentanyl here in Baton Rouge. I know Ridge. that uh, when I gave that talk a year ago at the library, yeah. that Louisiana overdose rate exceeded that of the national average. I want to say, so the, the pandemic year, things really jumped up. Like, yeah. from, uh, like from when you compare the overdose rate of 2019 to 2020, 2020 was like 20% higher than 2019. And then 2021 was 10% higher than the year before. So, so you're like 40% so, when you add them so up. So you're telling me that even during the time of COVID, when people were sitting in the house, they oh, were yeah, overdosing? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you get well, it sent to you. Here's you your get it. statistic. 64% of the overdoses are related to fentanyl out of 110,000 people this year that will have died. So that's well over half have died of fentanyl. So, I mean, you, here and I, we're harping a lot on fentanyl because it's out there and it's so deadly. We'd like to be talking about addiction in general, but what is really needs to be focused on now is fentanyl because that's the one that's just knocking people off but, left but that, and right. But that's my con question and concern. Is that's a, is that a two-headed monster, they call it. You know, you got, you got two of the same issues going on simultaneously, but which one do you attack first? Well, but I mean, the fentanyl is a killer. It's just, a, it's like Russian roulette. It's a killer. But, but it, using is a killer. Yes, so, it's using, but just... Alcohol is our number one abusive, so I mean, people drink all the time. We're not sitting here hollering about people drinking and their, their alcohol problems. And then your cigarettes, what about cigarettes? We're not sitting harping on that, but we are harping on what's- The cigarette company glad to. <laughs> well, but see, cigarettes have been pretty smart. They, they kind of said, we're gonna do away with cigarettes, but we're coming with this vaping and with a dab and that. So they've, they've, they've kind of reversed it around. And so now we're addicting people younger because look who's using these vapings. Go, go, go somewhere yeah. and watch them. There's yeah. every flavor you can yeah. get. There's all kind of different things. Yeah, I, and I, know they, I, got, I, I got my son been vaping. They do take a little puff off of some it. Just now they're some are nicotine, some are THC. And they're, they're smokeless now. You can't even tell they're doing it. You don't know they, what they're doing. They take a little thing. They can have anything in that. And believe me, you can get anything in them now. Anything that we've been talking about, you can get in the vaping. And so uh, that here again, we know there's fentanyl in the vaping. So here we're, we're harping on fentanyl probably a little bit too much, but we both feel that it's, it's deadly. And it, if, it, if it's not addressed, I mean, here again, we're trying to save one life if we can get someone to say, talk to their children or their children recognize that any pills out there are deadly. Yeah. And, and, and so what you're saying too is that People who use fentanyl, it ain't no long life of use on no, of no fentanyl. You ain't gonna be using fentanyl for no four or five years. No, no. You short your lifespan. Right. It's just Russian roulette. If you get too much, you can maybe get some. And I mean, I have an addict that came in to 
was talking to me and he says, boy, he says, been shooting heroin for a long time. All I shoot is good, straight heroin. But that last shot I had was really good. It was really hot. But I don't do fentanyl. Got him in the treatment center. The first thing they do is test you in your system. What's in it? What was in his system? Fentanyl. Fentanyl. He didn't know. So otherwise, he did not know. And so he went and uh, he went into treatment. Got in. He started having some. Got out. Had some real trauma problems. Very ser serious problems with family and friends and everything going on. Decided to start using again and actually told me now my dealer says I can buy straight heroin or I can buy straight fentanyl. Yeah, that's what the dealer told and me. I, yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I'm saying, like, so come he, on. He reason this out now. Come on, man. You don't really believe that. And he doesn't. They don't believe that. They know what they're getting. But at that point, when someone's used and you're desperate, you don't want to go into withdrawals. And I don't know if you've ever gone into withdrawals. So you go through withdrawals? If you don't get it, you go into withdrawals. It's just like on well, anything. Well, well, what is the feeling of fentanyl that makes people want it now? What is it? It's that same euphoria. I mean, we had talked about that. Uh, but um, once we start using, it's our genetics that determines how much we need to use before the switch is flipped and we are an addict. Okay, everybody, that's every, genetic. Everybody's different. Everybody, well, that's right. And it has a lot to do with your parents. And, and if they have a problem with it, then there's a high likelihood you would. A matter of fact, if somebody has two parents that have a problem with alcohol, alcoholics, they're seven times greater than the average person to have seven alcohol. Times. Seven times. That's right. So they never need to drink. The younger you are when you use a substance... The, the more likely you are to have a lifetime problem of it. A matter of fact, starting at about 13, that person's like about 70% likely. If they, if they use drugs on a pretty regular basis, and I know you were talking about alcohol, I'm hearing a lot of people smoking marijuana at a very young age yeah. now. Yeah. And, uh, and they're vaping, you know. And, and so, uh, I, but it's, it's usually, um, it, it's, it's usually a, a, a stepping stone, alcohol, cigarettes, and, or vaping, and then marijuana. Those kind of things kind of all occur at a very young age. But at any rate, the, the longer someone can delay using those substances, the, the, more, the less likely they are to have a problem. If they use them regularly at 13 years old, they're like 70% likely to have a drug problem their entire life. If they wait till they're over 20 before they start using them, they have a very low likelihood. So it has to do with your genetics, your environment. Well, uh, the environment, there are these things that we call ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. If you come from a home, a broken home, divorced parents, Parents that are incarcerated, violence at home, particularly in the um, against the mom, uh, parents that have mental health issues or substance use problems. Each one of those things gives you roughly 100% more likelihood of having a problem. So that means if a kid, uh, not that not that uncommon. As a matter of fact, a lot of us come from broken homes. Well, that person's already got about twice the chance of having a drug problem as somebody somebody who grew up in the Leave It to Beaver home with mom and dad and everything was perfect. But then you start adding another thing like there was violence or one of the parents or the brother was incarcerated, then that person's got a three times more uh, higher likelihood of having a substance use or a drug addiction. And then, you know, as you keep adding those things, the trauma and the trauma has to do with, you know, emotional trauma. It could be it could be physical trauma, abuse. It could be sexual trauma or neglect. All of those things add up to where the more of those hits that you take, the more likely someone is to have a, uh, a lifelong uh, drug addiction. And since we've been talking, we've been talking for close to an hour, eight to 10 people in the United States have died of a fentanyl overdose. Since we've been talking, 150 people a day in 24-hour period, that's your odds. So, I mean, these are, these are bad statistics that we're giving here that, you know, it's, it's out there and it's killing people. While we're sitting here talking, you know, we've lost 10 people. We've been talking almost two hours. Well, then we've lost 20 people. <laughs> that's it.
I mean, but I mean, 20 people in the United States have died from this. I mean, when, where, is, where do you... Where, get I, ready. Get ready for the problems we're going to have in the future. You're, but, you're bringing out some really but important But we points. can educate the younger age, if you, and they're, they're trying to get into the junior highs and into the elementaries, and he's got a plan to get into the younger... Uh, you got a plan, Doc? Try plan. to get, get into the schools he and teach the really kids and show them, do some hands-on learning. To show them, you know, the potential of what you would get just like that you could die. And this is what needs to be done. And there's people, uh, just real quick, H&E Industry here, uh, Brad Barber. You know, they're the ones that sent Narcan to every school here in East Baton Rouge Parish. They, they bought it themselves uh, through Tonya Myers, who works here in Baton Rouge. Hold on, so move too fast. And he said elementary school has Narcan. When you want it, if, if when you want it, have it in your school system. If you knew something was going on. But the elementary like school to, has Narcan. Well, they haven't. They they want it for element all school systems. They want it from first grade through twelve. They would like to have it. And of course, the, they have to. You'd have to train some teachers to do it. So it's been a slow process to get in. But H and E actually bought enough to put in all the school systems here. So we would have that there. If you're at school, I mean, if someone goes into an overdose of fentanyl, you don't have the, just a, what, seconds, seconds, seconds. seconds to save their life or they're and, and, dead. And, and those warning signs would be somebody's not responding to you, you know, they're acting really drowsy, falling asleep, and then you see them not breathing, the chest is not rising, oh, so that, and, oh, so you, that, and that's you can, your warning at least, signs. At least yeah. you, can, you can recognize. Recognize that, those things, and in, in the context of somebody that might have a drug problem. You, you know, you want to kind of keep that in mind. Okay. But then again, it, it, it could hit that, like we said, the, the, the young person who took a pill for the very first time. That could be the last time. They, yeah. they could be dead. So, you, so you got to look for those things. Drowsy, not responding to you, not breathing well, but, can't but, stay awake. But that, that would be pretty obvious because, you know, we pay attention to a child. Right. You know, so well, we need to be paying attention to everybody we're coming across, and we see that sort of stuff. And it needs to be first on our list is that this person is overdosed with it. You know, the other thing is, I graduated high school in 94, and you could tell who the kids were that sort of pushed the envelope, and they like to party a heck of a lot. Now the problem is you can't, you can't look at somebody and say by the way they dress, what they use, or, days you know, it, those days no are gone. Days it's gone. next door. It's in your house. It's you. It, it's you. It's everybody that's using, so it's, it's, it's tough. It's your child. That's yeah, absolutely, that's, and if we think it's not, that's the one who it's going to hit. Yeah. But see, there's, there are people working very hard on this. It's a lady, Lily Harvey from Monroe, lost her daughter. Uh, she just went to the legislature this past session and got the law changed. Lily, Lily Matters, I think, is her yeah, organization. Lily Matters yeah, yeah. is her organization. She's a nurse, and I think her daughter was a nurse, and her yeah. daughter over there. And so, you know, now it's gone from where it was kind of a minor offense. If you get caught selling fentanyl, it can be mandatory, you know, up to 50 years, a $100,000 fine. Some cities are now making it where it's murder. So if you get, you know, caught selling fentanyl to someone and they die, that you can be charged with murder. Now, of course, the legality, think of all the legalities, that you, hoops you have to jump through. But they're trying to do stuff like that. So there are efforts that are, are you know, doing. Our school board member, Don Collins, she works real hard on trying to educate people. So she's, you know, someone in the community. There are people working very hard in Baton Rouge to try to get this. But here again, I'm gonna go back and tell you, when you throw that addiction word out, a lot of doors slam fast. And I know from my art show, to try to get that art show up and show people that, you know, let's talk about this, doors slam real quick and just well, say, we why, don't. Why is that? Why is that? Wait, wait, no, let, let, me, let, me, let me share something with you. And maybe you can get, shed some light on this, fellow. <clears throat> I went to some legal issues with the federal government. 
and I, I went to friends and to have to see what kind of help support uh, you know how do I navigate through the legal process I had never went through nothing uh, at all particularly something of this magnitude it wasn't until I was in prison sitting in prison reasoning some things out understanding what's going on in the country and I said well you know there was a reason why most of my so-called friends or associates was not responding or re reaching out to me. I didn't know what they was dealing with. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, they might have been into some legal stuff, you know, legal issues, so they don't want to get close to me because I can shine, shine light mm -hmm. on them. Now, that's the same issue we might have with the addiction. We don't like to talk about addiction because think of every family. Some family, almost all family members know someone who's doing it, addicted or to something, and we just don't like to discuss it. It's like, my son doesn't do that. You know, Joe Blogan, they have a problem, but we don't have a problem in our household. So addiction is kind of a tough, tough word to bring up and discuss because it's very sensitive to people, you know, and so, and, you know, use me example, you know, I didn't get into recovery till I was 42 and I started drinking at 13. That's many, many years of addiction. And the one thing I wanted my mother to tell me more than anything, not that she loved me, I want her to say, Ben, you have a problem with drinking and drugs. And she never said that. She knew I did stuff and she just said, well, he'll grow out of it. And that was the one thing, we go back, trauma. You know, we want one thing our mother to tell us. My dad wouldn't have told me, but I wanted my mother to say, Ben, you have a problem. And then I might have got help at a younger age. That's what we're trying to do here. If we can get people in to get a look at themselves or in recovery at 17, 18, 19, they have a chance of living. If they continue using, and right now with this Russian roulette with what they have out there now, if they continue using, they're going to die. It's just that simple. You're going to lose someone they're going to die. You have no control over that. No. Just keep using. Right. Because something is going to be lost. Oh, oh it, it, they're going to, right now, the odds of you getting something are so high that it's just about impossible to it, find good. At one time, you had to use a specific drug. They're putting like it, heroin to get yeah, it. They're putting it in marijuana. So at least maybe the marijuana the state's selling right now, and you can get your insurance to pay for that, you, you can pick it up. And I mean. Well, what a great country. If you go to Picardy Lane where there's a doctor's office that prescribes it, I have a, my allergy office is right next door where I get my shots, and I sit and watch the people come. And if that many people have disabilities here in Baton Rouge and they're driving brand-new Corvettes and Mercedes and the fanciest cars you can see, and then going there to get in their marijuana, I feel sorry for our health condition here because, I mean, it's flooded. You can't get in their parking lot. There's so many people in there getting their medical marijuana these days is being, you know, supplied from the government with your insurance. Yeah, and so I don't even have to pay for it. I, I can get, people can't afford to pay for gas. But if I can't buy so that. Gonna, so you think the insurance company pay for gas? Now, if I smoked all mine this week and I'm short and I'm going to go buy some on the street, there's a good chance my marijuana is going to be laced with fentanyl. And I'm going to do whoa, this stuff's really good. That stuff I've been getting from the state wasn't that good. This stuff's kicking me in the butt. I'm going to go get some more. And that's what's happening. And here again, we're trying to tell you this stuff's out there. And we're not just talking about children now. We're talking about anybody. You're talking about grown folk because you can't, 
get a marijuana, medical marijuana <laughs> subscription as a child. Well, no. So you're talking about grown men and women. Yeah. But I mean, it's just, it's, we're talking in general about what's going on in the world and how the drugs are out there. I mean, you have to educate yourself and you have to be aware that there's a lot of people with addiction problems. And are we creating more addiction problems? Are we really helping people who have? Now, if you have cancer and you have pain, more power to you. I want you to have medical marijuana to help you with your pain. But uh, I think a lot of those people now, and you ask anybody on the street now how easy it is to go to a doctor and say, oh, I'm having these pains in my back and everything. Can, can I get prescribed for medical marijuana? There's a lot of doctors out there that can say, oh, yeah, no problem. And that's what happened with the Oxycontin craze. You know, doctors were prescribing this. Oh, I got this leg pain. Oh, oh I got this leg. I need some Oxycontin. Well, they get prescriptions for 90. After you've taken 90 Oxycontins, Bill, you're, you're hooked, line and sinker, and you're going to be going anywhere to buy them. And that's what they did. They opened them all up over the United States. Florida had people waiting in line, 30 and 40, 50 people outside every day to get in that clinic, to get their 90 pills. They're driving from all over the United States to go there and get them. And, uh, Legs open all night long. Yeah, yeah. All night. Seem to go get it. And so we created a huge addiction problem, and now they figured out this fentanyl deal, and it's just coming in. And and, if you use drugs, more power to you. I just don't want to see people die, and I don't want to see young person or a family with a young person lose their child to something that we can prevent. There are more people dying of overdose. And suicide that being shot and killed. Well, I heard double, double the murder rate here in yeah, Baton Rouge. Double. double. Double here in Baton Rouge. Overdoses than being murdered. Now, now, lately, in the past few weeks, we may be bumping that up. We've been bumping that odds up. But still, here again, you don't, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. You don't hear about this, everyone who's dying here. I know there's two or three or four people dying of overdoses here because I'm in the streets and I know what's going on with guys I help. So they're telling me, you know, this is who Joe Blow died the other day. My friend died. A lot of these for 18, 19 year olds and they're telling me what's going on. But if I wasn't with them, I wouldn't know how many people. That's the only reason you know. Yeah, that's the only reason I know. And that might be the reason why they made promoting, not promoting, but to Say on TV somebody committed suicide, illegal. Yeah. Because you know we didn't want to promote other people to go do the same. Right. But it's becoming an issue now because the suicide can be an overdose. Right. So nobody talking about. Right. It. At least the people who are affected. Right. Not talking about it. Well, I I think that uh, most of the overdoses are probably accidental. Yeah, or the poisonings. I, 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 you know, I would have to agree I, yeah, with yeah, yeah. They're 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 not uh, out to kill themselves. They just they got something bad. With, well, with, and then with, I think with, some with of the, the times they do. With the mindset of young people yeah. today, yeah. they can't take the pressure. The I agree, and that's what we're talking about. There's been so much. That, that's the million dollar question: is what's happened with our so our our characters, our our character, our our. Uh, our desire to have honor and respect and, you know, uh, treat treat others like we want to be treated and all those kind of things. Those, those are kind of slipping and it's causing us to, again, uh, 
uh, have struggle with uh, with coping and self medicate or desires to escape and, and have a euphoria and then enough substance use then it's a it's a problem of, all, all of its own and not just a, a self medication but it becomes its own problem and you still have the first problem now I wanted to say that uh, two two points is addiction is a family problem it's super important to understand it's a family problem th 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 think of what what was it you were you were saying uh, about um, a mom basically saying this kid you know oh no uh, he'll grow out or were you talking about were you, were you talking about your own mom saying that he'll grow out of it this she yeah. didn't tell you right, exactly. that you uh, that you had a problem with alcohol right. and drugs so so often that we I think we have to ask ourselves are we part of the problem or part of the solution and if you're enabling the child excusing it no 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 this is just the one time ah, that's not really happened he's not going to do that or that's not my kid that'll happen to somebody else's kid. That, that's, the, that's the family problem, the family dynamics right there. Yeah, we, I had this discussion not long ago with someone. The thing was, it's about all the violence, killing going on in the community. And people are saying, yeah, it's going on, about the other day, two 16-year-old boys got killed. So they say it's not, it's more of a parental problem. Where are the parents at? Well, wait, how you let your 15, 16 year old hang out in the streets? And what you're saying the same thing. We see eye to eye. <laughs> you know, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, but, but some kids don't have those but, parents at home. But, and, know, and, and some kids but, have been traumatized but themselves. Do, do you, you know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not one that want the government to legislate that because you give that government that kind of power, we all going to be in trouble. Right. Education to the public is what we're trying to do and what you're trying to do. This is how we try to kind of at least bring it to the public where we can talk about it. Here again, people don't like to talk about it. And I go back to my artwork, that third person, they can talk about that thing on the wall and they're not talking about their child or their husband or whoever has the addiction. They're able to talk about that. And what you're doing here and what we're trying to do is just try to bring this out in the public to where you know, we, we feel comfortable talking about it. And it's getting to such crisis now more people are willing to do this. And so we're making headway whether we want to or not by the deaths it's causing. Well, maybe we got this, do like, you know, uh, I can't think of a specific situation, but like these big time corporations, they start advertising, and the advertisement get old, they re-change, they redirect it, change the name. So they rebranded re it or something, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a good word. Yeah, okay. That's what corporations do. Yeah, they do. When something yeah, don't they work do, right, marketing they rebrand yeah, it. Right. So instead of addiction, we need to figure out another word. <laughs> we need to rebrand right. it. <laughs> so. Might be right. Yeah. The other thing I can tell you about addiction is that it's a brain disease and addiction is addiction. And somebody, okay, so we've been talking about substances. You know there's a gambling addiction. Gambling is an addiction. Brand addiction. It's a brain disease. There you go. Yeah, it, well, it actually, it might be. I, I, I agree with you there. So, uh, but, you know, aside from substances, you have, you have gambling. There's now a new diagnosis for internet gaming. And, you know, I'm a father of four kids from, from 15 down to, um, down to nine. I, I see a lot of video games being played in the house. And then uh, porn. Porn is an issue. You know, uh, uh, social media. Some people. I mean, the phone is like affixed to us all day long. And, we're there. And, we're hooked on it, right? The thing about it, the sad thing about it, we can't even watch without children see it anymore. It's scary. We have no control. It is it. scary. Absolutely. No, when their brains are forming, you know what I mean. Very impressionable our, time. Our order on their phone. Or order, they can order they anything can order, on yeah. their phone with now. the emojis and the sending the drugs, like you were saying during the, during the COVID, that people get them shipped to their house. So the 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 point for saying addiction is is a single disease 
is that people that I, that I work with come in because they have a problem with opioids or, or fentanyl or pain pills, but they say, no, 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 I'm going to drink alcohol or I'm going to smoke pot. Don't, don't mess with me on that. No, it, it gets back to that same, that same chemical, that dopamine. It's involved with memory and learning, and, and it's released the same way, which triggers them to want the other drug of, of choice, their, their preferred drug. So if somebody who had a heroin addiction goes and drinks alcohol or smokes marijuana, they're going to get a chemical release in the brain that's going to remind them of what they want to use, and that, that alcohol is going to be like a sample, and they're going to be ready for the whole meal now, which is going to be that heroin. Okay, so that's a, so it's a, that central molecule I was talking about, dopamine, it's in, if, if you and I lived a few thousand years ago and we hadn't eaten in a month and our wives and family were, were hungry as we were, you know, and we went and killed an animal and we, when we bit into it, we would release dopamine. We would be high, you know, like we're buzzing, okay. and, and our brain would stamp in it how we got that deer because it's for survival. We have to have it for survival. It's actually our primitive brain that, 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 that is uh, more involved in controlling like our, our normal bodily functions, breathing, going, you know, bat, going to the bathroom and, and, and that sort of thing. And that's what actually is the boss, is our primitive brain that, that doesn't do a lot of thinking. But it tells this part of our brain right here that separates us from, I look at my German Shepherd dog. He doesn't have a very big forehead. He has a short forehead. We've got all this area right here, our prefrontal cortex. It can do complicated stuff. But the thing is, our, our primitive brain tells this one, I want drugs, you go make it happen. And this one figures out all the ways to rationalize it or you got to do this, that, and the other to be cunning to get it and get the money to get it or whatever the deal is. And so it, our, our, what defines us as humans right there, it's not the boss. It's that primitive brain and it's that dopamine that drives us to use. It's an amazing thing. And any drug, any drug or gambling like or that. other addiction, addictive process will trigger one to use well, the I other. Wanted, I wanted to believe because I, I did a lot of studies on the ancient uh, Egyptians. Okay. Now, how they operate on the brain through right. nose yeah. and the things they did. And I learned a lot about, you know, everything starts with the brain. You know how the brain, you breathe because the brain yeah. tells you to breathe. Yeah. You walk because the brain tells you to walk. You Everything. And I learned that, you know, like the great athletes, they're not great because they, they got all these physical attributes because the brain is telling them what to do. If you can work to coordinate yeah. all those different what you call parts to do that, yeah. you can you can become a great being. So that's why I, my thing, I, I'm saying that because I would tell the young people that you can become great, not just in sports, but anything you put that kind of, Absolutely. Put, that, put, that, put that focus on and set your mind, and that's what the mind can, what? Yeah. Mind can't conceive okay. the body with a cheek. Well, there you go, that's a good one. Absolutely true. It says here, like addiction helps users deal with pain and that's trauma and a lot of these kids think if you're 15 and you're kicked out of the house and you're raised on the streets what are you going to do you're going to look for some way to solve that trauma that you were having and that pain is being unable to hold, hold, hold on hold on uh, dr peabody now i want to go back to something because we need to reset this part you, you just you gave me a recommended book me to read for me to read and that book deal, deals, deals with what trauma so the issue with you saying that, was you grown a child or whatever, certain things that caused some reason why you might be deciding to do certain things right. is because of what? Trauma has a lot to do with it, and he can explain to you that more in depth than okay, I can. Okay, hold on. Now, you explain to us first, then we'll get to where you, right. you on mind. No, no. Explain to us what, what is trauma, what, what the effect of 
of Toronto. We always fun. Best you can. Okay. You got, so, you got two, it's two minutes. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, trauma, you know, in our in a, in the three forms we think of it is e emotional, physical, or sexual. Okay, it could be somebody roughed up or beaten right. or something like that. Somebody insulted, cursed at, belittled to the point where they believe it. Or obviously, we we, we know what sexual trauma is. That that uh, that creates such a lasting memory and. Um, at, at, at a, at that, that's going back to the pr pr primitive brain. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, actually, those memories, we, we have uh, parts of our brain, the hippocampus for memory, amygdala for feelings. It kind of helps us interpret things and make sense of it. It's too complicated. And so, um, so basically, these are stored in us. And if they're not work dealt with, if they're not productively dealt with some, with some therapy, some counseling, some talking to a professional or, or somebody, you know, like a pastor or, or a religious figure, then, then these things sort of get boxed up and put away, but they don't get resolved. They end up being the cause for many other issues that develop. You know, personality problems can come about, mood disorders, depression, anxiety, all these other kind of things. And uh, it's all going to one. That these all category. come back to the. A, a lot of these can come back to some early years of of, of, of trauma. And uh, and so what people do some some of the times folks use to uh, experience that euphoria or high, and sometimes they use to self-medicate, and uh, they just don't want to deal with those. They don't want to unpack that because it, it keeps coming back. With trauma, what you're going to have is, um, you've heard of folks like in the Vietnam era being shell-shocked, right? They, they'd hear something go off, and they'd have PTSD, exactly. And, uh, and, and that's the, the medical diagnosis term for it. But they're going to be hypervigilant. They're kind of always going to be on the lookout. You know, they might have dreams. They might be awoken from dreams at night, remembering the the event, and uh, they might avoid certain situations to to uh, prevent them from having feelings and thoughts and, and actions as a result of trauma and some other exposure. So you know, trauma is is often I've I've asked patients because my patients actually teach me. We've always said in medicine that you learn a heck of a lot more from your patients than you ever do your textbook. And by the way, your your opening <laughs> statement was as if he wrote my textbook. This this gentleman's got a lot of wisdom right here. Um, but but you know my patients will tell me I, I can I can remember a couple that I that I see that come in from Mississippi and they say uh, she she is really one to look at herself and see and not you know excuse things but say. Look, it was a fragile time in my life, in my childhood, where I was rejected by my parents, and um, you know, had had this this emotional trauma, uh, developed depression, found alcohol and marijuana as an easy way out that progressed to pain pill and heroin use, and she says that it's it's trauma during a vulnerable period in a young person's life that often leads uh, to a drug a drug addiction, and I've heard this many times from patients, many times. Many times. Now, it doesn't mean everybody that experiences trauma has PTSD, okay, because there's a lot, but you also gotta look at the genetic environmental component. If, if two guys were out there on, on, on the intersection, at this intersection right here, uh, Sherwood 912, and, and witnessed a, a, a shooting, somebody shot you know, right next to them at the bus stop, those guys come from different homes, they have different levels of support, one of them might have parents at home, one of them might not, you know, they have d different uh, genetic uh, predispositions, so it doesn't mean that even though they both witness the same thing, that they'll both experience the same thing later in life. It, you know, it has to do with the sort of your environment and your genetic makeup that determines how that trauma is going to affect you. But I, I, I find that a lot of the patients that I treat, uh, trauma, PTSD is sort of the underlying cause. 
And uh, there's also a secondary PTSD that occurs. Imagine the lifestyle you have once you're using drugs. You got to go buy it from a drug dealer. You might witness somebody getting shot right there. You know, there's secondary PTSD that occurs as a result of or driving and getting in a wreck because you're drunk. You know, there's all these other things that, that so there's a lot of trauma in the life of, of, of an addict. That's, that's a lot. That's, that's a, a lot, man. It's, 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 trauma comes out as a reaction, not as a memory. And when you're sitting with someone who's had trauma and they start saying, so-and-so did this to me when I was a child, whether it was sexual, beating, or whatever, you can see their temp temperature just go up. And they start, their voice gets louder, they get madder. That's trauma coming out. But, I mean, that's what it is. And, I mean, you can see someone get in a rage. And these are people who have been using. And what we try to do in treatment is try to say, you got to recognize this. And when that light starts blinking off with rage to the top of your head, you've got to realize that's the rage coming back. And you've got to get to where that light doesn't blink, it's bright. And as you work with them, they start getting better and better, where when they think about that, they do, oh, yeah, but I'm not acting like I used to. Think of anger. You know, if you have an anger issue or you, you're a person who gets angry, you know, you throw a tool or you do something. You have to work on that to get better. But if you start realizing, you know, yeah, I have a temper tantrum now. Can I do anything about it? Yes, I can. It's just like having negative thoughts. If I'm driving along in my car and I start thinking, oh, Ben, you're no good, you know, you, you, you don't do this, you didn't succeed here, you know, you're a rotten person, you know, it's just things are going bad. If I'd let that continue, well, the next thing you know, I'm going to be doing, well, maybe if I went and had a drink or did something to, you know, calm this thought, I won't be feeling as bad. But if I can say, hey, wait a minute, that all happened in the past. Those are just things that are trying to come back to haunt me. Ben, come on, you can go talk to someone about this. You can go see a counselor. You can go to a, a meeting uh, in recovery. Well, and if you that personality that you want, you, you are looked up as the man in the community. Like you're talking about your daddy was the man, man a man thing, right? Um, and you're that kind of person where people look up to you, you got it going on. It's hard for you to, what, 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 do, that, what do that man or woman do? They go to recovery, they realize that they can get help, they can do this, there are programs, there's a 12-step program they can use that really is spirituality that will help them. We talked about a mayor here earlier, that his ego was so big that he just could not recognize that he had a problem as severe as it was. He would, you know, do good for a little while, the next thing you know, he was off on a, bin, a binger. And that's what happens, but there are programs out here, and yes, uh, we need to probably tell people more of what's available, like him, where in his practice, where we have people that are out there willing to help. I mean, any of these young people that I know of that are having the uh, fentanyl, Adderall abuse are in treatment. And when they get out, they go to recovery programs. And that's where I kind of run into them because they come and talk to me. And I'm doing, what is a 22-year-old kid wanting to come talk to a 75-year-old man about? Why do they want to come talk to me about their drug use? Why do they want to come talk to me? And they say, well, Mr. Ben, we think you're cool. <laughs> but what they're doing is they're telling me they're confident and they have enough 
feelings that I'm not going to criticize them, make fun of them or anything, and that I've been there and I know what I'm talking about. And they'll do, you know, talk to me about what I'm doing and how I can improve. And then we go through, you know, we we work with them through a 12-step program. And when you see it happen, it's a miracle. And that's what they say. There's miracles that happens in these programs. And when it happens, a miracle happened to me. And in anyone who survived addiction, a miracle has happened, and you do, wow, something happened to me. Somewhere along the line, you get a spiritual feeling where you know there's someone more powerful in the world than yourself that's running the show. And people say, well, you quit being God, and once you quit feeling that you have that much superiority yourself, all of a sudden things start changing. The more you help people, the more you get more relief and more you see wow I, I talk to people all the time they'll come over and they'll start complaining about something and i'll say wow they're talking about me in that mirror because i just had that same thought you know a day or two ago about something and they're oh man i can't believe i'm thinking like this and i'll do i'm thinking like that too and when you identify with them that you're thinking too that way or you've had that thought and they do well it's not that normal then if you thought about it the other day too I must be okay. No, you're getting okay the more you work on this and the more you acknowledge your problems. You can get where you can live a healthy life. Think of people, and this is true, that's what happens when people get an addiction. They want to close the world out. They want to be totally by themselves. They don't want to deal with them. Heroin addicts don't go share their drugs with another heroin. It's their stuff, and they don't share it with it. They want their stuff to do themselves, and they become very isolated and by themselves. They push away all their friends. I asked a guy the other day, before I did this, I said, how many friends do you have? And he did zero. And I said, why? He says, because I don't want any friends. They might want to use my stuff. I said, but why else don't you have, have any friends? And they said, well... I just kind of ran them all off. And, you know, they didn't want to be around me anymore because I'm an asshole. And I did, okay, who did that? I thought of myself when I got in recovery, how many friends did I have? And it was almost down to zero. And, I mean, I was in political career. I had people everywhere that liked me and helped me and everything. But I just about run everybody off around me that wanted to have anything to do with me. There you go. That's addiction. Now, you got to tell it because you're a medical, you're a family practice physician. Like primary care. Primary yeah, care. Go, yeah, go get your uh, diabetes but, and your but, blood but pressure. We're talking about another component yeah. of this. Yep. You're not a psychologist. I, no, I, 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 right. Uh, I did just complete extra training after I've been in the addiction field in the psychiatry department at Tulane for the last year. I've been working with them, so it was a little, a little extra training. Don't, don't yeah. say Tulane. I got to find you with the Tulane. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's where I was for med school and residency, and they let me come back. So since you agree, wait, just wait. He ain't see No, but uh, this, this is. I'm, I'm so glad you asked because so we have tried to change the way we we look at and label addiction. We've, have, we've gone away from the, it's a character flaw, it's willpower weakness, it's something wrong with you. We've tried to change it to where this is a disease, and like other chronic diseases that are going to be with you for the rest of your life, it has to be managed with, with two strategies. Think of, let's think about diabetes. When somebody's diagnosed with diabetes or high blood pressure or something like that, there's usually a two-pronged approach. 
Doc says, I'm going to do some stuff. I'm going to prescribe a medicine for you. You got to take it every day and you got to do some stuff. You got to exercise. You got to lose weight. Maybe you got to back off the sweets or carbs and you, or maybe if you have blood pressure issues, you got to back off the salts. Okay. So, so some you things you got to do, do, some things that I got to do. So we, we have changed from a, from a character flaw to a chronic disease uh, way of looking at this. And we have a two prong approach. You do some stuff. It's it's not necessarily going to be exercising and, and and eating right and losing weight, even though those things are all still really good, even in addiction. Okay, but those were more for my diabetes analogy. But the the um, the things that the patient is responsible for doing is considering their people, places, and things. Where are they? Are they hanging out in the bar? That place is a bad one for somebody. Matter of fact, somebody that we may have the hardest time treating for alcoholism is a bartender. They work there. It's in their face every day, right? So they gotta change their places, okay? They gotta change their people. If they're hanging around friends they get high with, those people are not gonna be the right one. And things that might set them off or whatever, they gotta consider that. They also gotta go into active recovery. What you said early on, you get more when you give, that is, this is the, the defining difference. I've been in a, a, a addiction for four, four and a half years. And what I can tell you is when somebody is in active recovery, it doesn't matter if it's been 30 or, uh, or more years. It's when they're out preaching the word and they're going to other people and they're saying, hey man, this is what life's like whenever you, you know, you know how you, you can't get any money. You know how you almost got, uh, you know, in, in an accident or, or hurt and you, you know, you lost your, your girlfriend. Uh, maybe you want a different life. Okay, so he's going and, and he's painting a picture if they were to choose some, make some different choices, a different life that they would have. And so he's, by him giving, he is staying active in his recovery because it would really be an odd thing for him to, to, and maybe this has happened, but to find somebody active in recovery and still using. Does that happen? Not, really. not, not much. No. I wouldn't think much. I mean, imagine it can. But it's kind of like when, you, when you're passionate and you're sharing your story, you're probably, you bought the story, you agree with it, and you're on board with your recovery. So I think that's, that's, that's the number one thing. So what I do here, uh, the name of our practice is, is, uh, is Salubre Care. We try to be a different kind of medical practice. We, we have three people. We have a counselor, a nurse, and a doctor. Uh, we can see patients the same day. I make house calls if it's necessary. They can get a hold of me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And um, maybe we can give you our website and phone number at some point. And um, we try to do things differently. We try to not be part of the problem, okay, because if a patient is not responsible enough to take care of their, their appointments and, and all, then we, we don't want to enable that. We want to encourage it. But we want to be there for them whenever they're having a crisis moment and help them make the right decisions at that time. We are not an inpatient treatment facility. We don't do, uh, if, the, if their addiction is very severe, we can't always detox them here. Sometimes we can detox people at home. They have to be highly motivated and otherwise quite healthy. Uh, alcohol and benzos, Xanax type medicine, Ativan, Valium, those kind of clonopin. If, you're on, if somebody's drinking daily alcohol, large amounts, or, or using those other medicines like I was saying, if they stop them abruptly, they can have a seizure. They can go into a state of delirium. They can, oh, they, they could be life-threatening, no doubt about it. The other ones would make you feel like you're dying, like uh, heroin, um, uh, maybe cocaine, and, and uh, meth, and those sort of things, but not, uh, not cause the physical or the, or the risk of death. So uh, what, we, what we typically do is we either start out seeing a patient that's highly motivated, and maybe the substance use is such that we can manage them with an outpatient detox, or we, 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 find, uh, we follow up with them after they've left those facilities. So after they've been through the four days detox and the 30 days of, of rehab, then they'll come see us for, for maintenance treatment.
and we'll sometimes see them weekly or maybe twice a week if we had to for a little while. Then we'll start spacing out the visits as they do better. So uh, we've got a counselor here for them. We encourage them to go to 12-step meetings and uh, to have a sponsor to work the steps and have the book, big book, and uh, and just be you know just be their cheerleader. And, and, it's, and it's extremely gratifying. It makes me the happiest guy in the world. But, that, where that, I am. You shared about your sister, husband, mm-hmm. and your sister, husband, family. Right. Now, what called, what what encouraged you to start focusing on? We're going to use that word addiction. <laughs> you got to rebrand it. <laughs> you got to rebrand it. What in what's in Dr. Denson yeah. that said, oh, I, I, I enjoy family medicine, uh, but I, I, I like this area. Yeah. What, what, what is that? I can't tell you that I think the, the medical profession was, and society in general, was not meeting the needs of people with addiction. So like if you figure out what do I want to be when I grow up and you say, oh wow, addiction, they're doing a horrible job taking care of people with, with addictions. Maybe that's, a, maybe that's an opportunity. Maybe there's some low hanging fruit. Maybe there's a way for me to make a difference and, and make the world a little better place. I did a PhD in biochemistry before going to med school and I always wanted to be an inventor. I wanted to create tools for doctors and patients to have better tests, better treatment, whatever it is. I think that the field of addiction is just ripe with opportunities. I mean, who, there, there's all kinds of things that could be done to make life better for, for folks. Okay, so, yeah. you, so you, you like a challenge. I like it. That's it. I, a former okay. Marine, we are always gluttons for punishment. Okay. Please don't ask me to go knock that wall down with my head. I might start ramming it. That's that primitive ramming. That's it. But look, I, I, I mean, I, I'm going to close with Ben because Doc, I would say, you got the letters behind your name, but he got the numbers. Yeah. More no, absolutely <laughs> outranks me. <laughs> you can have that time. <laughs> so, no. so, Dr. Peabody. What we're trying to do is increase awareness and understanding of the mental health and substance use disorder, break down the stigma of addiction, which we keep using that word, address fears and build trust through better communications. And this is with family members, with your children, with anyone that you can talk about. Encourage those in recovery to share their struggles and their success. I mean, it'd be a lot easier for me not to have come today and just said, you know, I don't want to talk about this, but to be able to open up and say, yeah, I was this one time and this is where I am today and I'm a much better person today than I was 34 years ago. And help one person, here again, I'm going to say that one word. So we can save one life We've done, the three of us have done something worthwhile. We saved someone's life. And I mean, that's not happening a lot, but we could make a difference by just having this conversation today. We could save that one person's life and they don't have to bury that child or that friend. That's a big deal. I mean, I'm thankful that you know that you all even want to sit here and have this conversation. And uh, Doc, I'll let you know that Ben truly bragged on you and I thought you was an older man. I thought you I know you was this young. <laughs> he bragged on you, and I see why. And I really, it's been a, it's been a, a truly blessing for me because I've learned. I mean, I've been hearing about you know things that are going on in the community, and I'm hoping that we can start a dialogue, a conversation. You know, from the from the mayor to the governor. You know, we can. We need to. It's a series. Yeah. Our children are dying. Right. On the streets, literally, because once they take once they take that hit, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Was a gunshot wound mm-hmm. or a fentanyl hit? It's, it's a gone. public health crisis. It's a public health crisis. Big really. time. And something needs to get get done. Uh, 
I, I don't know where to go from here, so we, we got to figure out something. We're going to rebrand that term, addiction. <laughs> all right, that's, my, that's, that's our next thing, too. But we, we like, I'd like to thank you all, you young men, for coming in. I thank you, Ben, for um, making this happen. Thank you for coming out today, Ben, and sharing. Uh, I thank you, too, for what you're doing. You know, Count Time is trying to bring information to people. And it's, not, it's, it's not just what you're doing here with us. It's the ones that you've done in the past. You're trying to educate the public on different things that we weren't aware of. And I've learned a lot by listening to your podcast oh, about things you, I didn't know anything about. And I'm like, wow. And, you know, I said, this makes sense. And I mean, I feel, feel so poor, sorry for those people in West Baton Rouge, the sugarcane farmers, that I mean, every time I think of it, I just says, how do we allow that to happen? But there's so many other things yeah, that, that we've... That was in dollars would be a more, more deaths. Right, and how we've allowed things like this to happen over time with our, with, you know, and, our and look, ignorance. Look what's going on in the whole community now. Yeah. You know, how it affected all of our children. Yeah. And we were... Doc, thank you for showing up today, coming out, and... Shut the office down oh, for count time. My pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. Boy, we are lucky to have you in our lives. Oh, no. Oh, oh, I'm not, serious. No, no I am. I'm serious. What oh, are you for this, Doc? What are no, you? no. Gosh. But, Doc, well, thank you for, 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 really, thank you for those kind words. I truly, truly appreciate that. Thank you also, Dr. Peabody. <laughs> I got Dr. Dr. Uh, Brian Kimbrough. Where Kimbrough come from? That's our that, last name. Generette. Yeah, my uh, that is my dad's mom's maiden name. It is. You're right. Last name. Absolutely. You smart. Oh, one thing, Lionel. One important thing we didn't really talk oh. about is the effects it does on the mind. And I'm gonna leave you with this. I'm gonna well, let wait, you well, read give this. Give some quick information. Then. Tell him about what. what it does to the brain, marijuana, any drugs like that, how it affects and how it slows the brain down. And the well, we talked about, uh, well, actually, I think we wanted to talk on a, about arrested development, basically. So, the, um, you know, our brain goes through a maturing process. This, this part we talked about being capable of, of overcoming complicated scenarios in this world that we live in. It goes through this myelination or basically like the, like the, like the joints. They kind of, as we finish growing, the, the joints, they kind of uh, close off the growth plates at the end. Well, our brain kind of does that. It kind of seals itself off at the end. But during that time, we're, we're, we're learning some really challenging things in our, in our teenage years. Think about that. We're getting like our driver's license. We've got a girlfriend. We're trying to act like an adult and everything, but we're still kind of a kid. And then next thing you know, if we have uh, drugs exposed, if, if, we have, uh, if we use too many drugs at that time, we basically stop our maturity or our brain development, or alcohol, and, 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 or alcohol, and we have. Uh, we, we I, I routinely see patients that are 30, 40, 50 years old acting like a 14 year old. You know, with the, with the kinds of decisions they come, uh, conclusions they come to, their judgment, you know, their um, their ability to sort of comprehend and 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 discern things is is that of a teenager. So it's it's um Childish it's really one of those things. Postpone, and we differentiate between experimental use. You heard people say, "Oh yeah, I tried such and such once," and and, and we then we call it problematic or routine use that comes later on. Sometimes it doesn't come that later on. Sometimes they try. I've had many people say, "Lights on," when they had uh, their first use, like you said, of, of alcohol. Uh, what what has been told to me is, went and got my wisdom teeth out at the doctor when I was uh, or the dentist whenever I was you know 18 or something. Got thir 30 days of Percocet. Why you need 30 days of Percocet? I don't know. But they were like, from then on. You know, I was where I needed to be. This was how I, I finally could open up and relax and, 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 and interact. And, um, and we know there's a genetic component to that. So, yeah, 
Uh, boy, I tell you, that's a that's an hour long conversation yeah, of itself it to go into to, <laughs> to the brain, the the effects, and 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 you are actually touching on the uh, our body, our senses are perceived by our brain in, individually. Oh, my my stomach hurts. You know, I'm hungry, or or well, they, the brain might feel stomach hurts, but doesn't know it means hungry. All right, is it a stomach ache or something? But basically, we start to pull in all these senses and we and we process it, and that means something to us. You know, it might mean withdrawal. I need another hit or a drink or something like that. And so uh, the effects that this has on the brain are, are enormous. So many components, so many actions uh, that, that we might just have to save that all for another conversation. Yeah. Well, I mean, you started out, I mean, I like the way that started going. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. It also kind of goes back to what you were talking about, the primitive brain. Just, it's the boss. Know, yeah, it's know, the boss. It tells know, the rest what yeah, to do. Yeah. yeah. And what you, you, what you was used to, no matter what age you are, so if you was... 13, 14, that's if you if you start using and continue using, you play, you might you probably was stuck right now. That's it. That's it. They lose the ability to advance with their executive functions or their judgment. And I'm and saying they're just that, stunted. Because I got friends I went to college with okay. that use And they act like they're, they're still there. They're still stuck they're there. They're stuck there. The whole yeah. conversation yeah. is which when was at college? Now this is very normal. It really is very normal in addiction. You when you start using, that's when you really quit maturing and you become very immature the rest of your life temper tantrums that a grown person will have like a child that's immaturity from whatever they were addicted to or still using their addiction act like a child very similar effect yeah, yeah. and the other thing is that I so I do some work with the Harvard adolescent team and the, the, what they continue to remind us is that the use of one substance, be it the 13-year-old that just had the one drink, lends itself to the use of another substance, which then lends itself. It makes so, it easy. Yeah, so when, they, when someone comes in and says, a kid is found to have a joint and says it's just pot, take it seriously. It doesn't even matter if it's a cigarette or what it is, take it seriously. And it's good, too. Think of all the athletes that are now coming out saying they have an addiction. And think of musicians, Elton John. I mean, there's, there's a lot of musicians. There's movie stars. There's people coming out now saying, I have an addiction and I'm in recovery. That's a big deal. So, I mean, here again, I think that's where we need to capitalize on some of those people that people worship these people. You know, oh, guy's a great musician. I'm going to hear him, you know. Uh, that removes the stigma. And there's a lot, a lot of them. Well, we got to go back to what we did. We're, we're trying to spread the word and communicate with people and trying to help people, and one person at a time or one family at a time. We're just trying to share it. And I, I read a lot of stuff, so I'm constantly trying to stay up on this. And when, yeah. On that note, we're going to close. Thank you, you, you Nian, for participating, <laughs> being part of Contact. Appreciate you. Thank you so very much. Man can shackle the hand, the man can shackle the feet, but only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.